Welcome back to Embracing Death. I'm your host, Julia. Join me each week as I have a conversation about death with someone closest to it. This week, I talk with Lucy, who was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Lucy shares with me her journey to a diagnosis, why there was such a delay, and how she manages to look to the future, no matter what. Hi, my name's Lucy, and um, I am here to talk to you today about um, being diagnosed with with stage four cancer and going forward and living with that diagnosis. I live in Ireland. I'm originally from England um, and I am currently studying um, to be a counsellor and and psychotherapist. Well, Lucy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I just want to say thank you for coming on and sharing your story. I think, um, you know, what everything you've been through has been very challenging and just that you keep persevering and pushing through just makes me really happy. And, and I'm glad to kind of dive into this story. So if you could just tell me a little bit about, um, who you are and what happened in 2008. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me, um, on your show back in 2008, I was working in the prison service in the UK and I started to become quite, quite unwell in terms of, I was having a lot of abdominal pain. I was having bloating. I was having issues with my bowels and, you know, various kind of symptoms that way. And I was back and forth to my doctor and I was consistently being, I would say dismissed. I was told you have irritable bowel syndrome, look at what you're eating, um, take peppermint oil. And, you know, nothing, no tests were really being done. Nothing really helpful was happening. So I was being kind of back and forwards, I'd say for around 10 months there. And eventually I changed my doctor. My new doctor listened a little better to me and I was referred to a scan and the scan showed that I had like cysts on my ovary but still at that point they didn't feel like it was anything that needed to be so it wasn't um looking like it was anything serious so I was told that we would go ahead and scan again in a month's time and you know just off you go unfortunately during that time during the one month that we were waiting um I ended up in the in an ambulance basically to the emergency and the the cyst as they were calling it at that time had ruptured and um, so it become kind of an emergency situation. And it was there where I was diagnosed with um, ovarian cancer. So initially I was told, you know, they would remove that ovary and I could have six months of chemo or six sessions of chemo. Um, and then I should be kind of fine, go on my way. So that happened. It was all good. And I kind of felt like that was that was going to be it, really. You know, I could go on and live my life. Unfortunately, fast forward 10 months and I was symptomatic again and my bloods were starting to show higher levels of the cancer marker yeah basically I had I was having a recurrence and I was at that point restaged um at stage four you know I had the hysterectomy I had various different surgeries I had numerous amounts of chemotherapy and other treatments and from that point on it's kind of been a a cycle of in treatment out treatment in treatment out treatment and I was given, you know, a fairly poor prognosis at that time. Well, basically to 2010 really was kind of what they were saying, you know, go enjoy your summer. So yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's where everything started. 
initially you were kind of brushed off because of your age. You were very young and the doctors just thought this is pretty standard symptoms for, you know, ovarian cysts. Everything looked good. As someone living with an ovarian cyst that does constantly have bloating and pain and bowel issues, like this really hits home to me because knowing that I'm living a similar experience to you and it could be either way. Like, you you know, you were constantly told everything's fine, everything's fine until it wasn't. And then after it was kind of like, well, let's preserve fertility. Let's only take the one ovary. Let's only do this and you're going to be fine. And then just given that, like, you're fine, everything's fine. And then, you know, having the reoccurrence come again has got, you know, it has to be, it would make me feel angry because there were so many times where things could have gone differently, but because of the health system, especially how women are treated in the health system, like, oh, it's just period pain. Oh, it's just woman pain. Oh, you're just a woman. Like it's this constant, like pressure from physicians that are like, oh, well, this is just normal because women have, you know, people have men, they menstruate, they have these different organs and, and it causes these, this pain. And then, you know, to have all of this kind of come back and then them giving you such a, you know, not amazing prognosis when so many times things could have gone differently. How did, how did you move forward from that stage? Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent what you were saying there. And just to kind of reiterate that, I think that they were, they were so focused on my young age and, you know, the idea that you do have these kind of issues um, as a woman, you know, like it, these, these things happen. You're a woman, you have pain, you have issues, you have problems. Um, it's not going to be anything serious. And they failed to take into account my family history. Like I have a very strong family history of ovarian cancer. So it's that thing of not being listened to. Um, so going forward from there, um, I do, I've obviously have had periods of anger and feeling like things could have gone very differently. Like if I've been listened to earlier, I really genuinely do feel that the outcome could have been different. But all that said, I think I've learned over the years that you have to you have to let go of those things because like you can't change them. Like you cannot go back and you cannot change what has happened before. And therefore you have to find some way that you can ha have acceptance and you can you can move forward from it and you can deal with what is in front of you right now. Like I have this thing now and I am blessed and lucky because there are things that I can do. There's treatment, there's still treatments available to me even after all this time. Um, and I respond well to those treatments usually. And so I try and just focus on that, that I, I am so much luckier than many, many other women who I have met along the way. And that, I guess that's what keeps me, keeps me strong and able to continuously go through that cycle of being in treatment, being made to be sick, being, you know, going from feeling quite well to knowing that you're going to take a medication that is going to make you better, but it's going to make you feel very ill in the meantime. Um, just having that kind of capacity to keep doing that um, comes from gratitude, I think. What a beautiful way to take everything that you know was given to you and turn it into this, you know, I could be negative but you're going to turn it into use, using that every day for power and energy to keep keep moving forward and as you said you know you're given these medications that in in essence attack your body so chemo and, and a lot of the medications that people take when they are fighting cancer people don't understand that chemo is actually 
toxic. Like that's the whole point is, is that it, it kills these cells, but it also kills and attacks your body. What it is made up of cells, because essentially cancer is just your own body kind of on the fritz and it sends these cells somewhere else and these cells just grow. And eventually those cells become, you know, they become dangerous to the rest of the body. And so you're given chemo and we've all seen just how hard it is when you're on chemo, how much energy, how sick you are. And, you know, after going through all these chemo treatments, you know, there was a lot of kind of consequences. There was things that kind of changed your life and they've changed the way that you live. Can you talk a little bit about the consequences of being on chemo for so long? God, yeah, there's so many consequences of being on chemo. I mean, there's the physical consequences. So um, being ill a large percentage of the time. So, you know, there's good there's good medications these days that do kind of really help with the side effects, but you do, you feel nauseous, you feel fatigued. And I don't mean like, tired I mean like fatigue that it just you can't sleep it off like you just never feel energy like you would have had in the past and and like other parts of your body start to go wrong you know you'll be you the chemo doesn't just attack the cancer it attacks the healthy cells in your body as well so you know you start to have problems with liver you start to have problems with kidney function I have problems uh, making my own blood cells because of damage that was done in my kidneys so I therefore have to have um blood transfusions and that's lifelong that's not you know that's not a couple of transfusions because I got very poorly that's I have to have a blood transfusion in order to stay alive so therefore you're then kind of connected to the hospital all the time that you can't think oh you know I'm gonna go off and do something in the wilderness for six months like I can't go and do that I have to know that I can get to a hospital in order to have the treatments that I need in order to keep functioning so alongside those kind of physical things there's the emotional challenges of knowing that your body's let you down uh, like you really go through phases of feeling that like feeling that you've been let down by your body um you know moments of feeling like things are unfair moments of feeling like other people are able to do a b and z and why can't you and then there's like aspects of loss you know i had a hysterectomy so you know whether I wanted children, whether I didn't, like it's a different thing being enforced, you know, like that option has been taken away, was taken away um, when I was 30. And there's the kind of loss of the life that you might have had, um, the career that you might have had, you know, it definitely like having cancer and having treatments enforces you to make changes that you perhaps wouldn't have made anyway. You might lose, might not be able to do jobs that you otherwise would have done I worked in the prison service I worked very long hours it was very stressful doesn't go well with having cancer no matter how hard you try and make it work which I really really did if you're going through periods of being on chemo like it's just not compatible and then there's like the impact of the community that you then become a part of so you make friends you like you automatically go and seek out people who are in the same situation as you so you make friends with these people and you become attached to them and you care about them but of course they've all got a serious illness and therefore you end up losing a lot of those people um in the early days I would seek out like forums and things like you know anywhere where I felt I could find support from other people going through the same things but that became such a minefield because 
you were constantly faced with the loss of these people that you'd built up a, a friendship with and a connection with and you know suddenly they're not there anymore and that doubly impacts because it reminds you that any day that could be you like you might be going well just now but things can change very quickly so there's always that kind of constant reminder that you know you don't know what's around the corner and of course nobody knows what's around the corner but I suppose that's just a heightened feeling um, when you have a diagnosis yeah none of us know what we could what could happen to us today but for you it's more it's you have more components to you know anyone could be in a car accident but for you you already have this secondary thing that's that's you know kind of always going to be there it's always going to be part of who you are um and you know having having connected with people that are sick and you know having them pass away having them die and and you still alive I know that a lot of people experience like survivor's guilt from this. And so these people that you, you care about these friends that you make losing them, you know, it, it, I can't imagine, you know, the, the pain of, you know, questioning, like, why, why is it that I get to continue on and, and they don't, um, can you tell me a little bit about what it's like that battle of, you know, having this cancer and constantly being reminded of, of this thing that's just kind of sometimes looming over like a cloud, but also wanting to continue your life like Lucy moving forward, Lucy looking to the future. You know, how how do those two things kind of, how do you find balance between them? It's a very hard place to be sometimes. Like it's a, I kind of describe it as a no man's land. You know, I was given this terrible prognosis and I suppose that meant that I didn't look forward and I didn't kind of think that I could make plans and I could, do new things and I could you know I didn't think that there would be a future to kind of create and therefore like it's when you then surpass that sort of date or deadline that's been put on you and you keep being okay and you keep living and you keep moving forward it can feel a little bit in limbo Um, and I think there comes a point where you have to think okay right I'm here now you know I don't know what's coming but I am here now and I'm doing okay so I need to start acting like I do have a future and like, you know sort of putting things in place because you can't just keep putting things on hold it's been a lot of years where I've been living with this and I think it's something that has kind of come gradually and I've become a lot better at over recent times you know like signing up to go to university like I just didn't think that that was something that was an option for me because you know what was the point you're gonna die <laughs> you know um whereas now I think well maybe I won't like nobody knows like you've been told this thing and it didn't happen people don't know doctors don't know I don't know the universe probably doesn't know like it's just you have to make that decision that I'm here right now so I will do everything I can to make my life better and I'm not saying like I still am not able to look very far into the future but I do feel much more able to kind of just live and and do the things that I want to do and not worry that I'm wasting my time or wasting other people's time I think that's a big thing like feeling that you might be wasting other people's time and resources because you can't guarantee that you're going to be there at the end of it when people have put all those kind of energies into helping you or teaching you or you've taken somebody else's place you know there's a lot of a lot of intrusive thoughts that come along with it Um, but you have to kind of just let them go and 
and focus on now and what you can do. I can't imagine feeling that way. Like I've never, I mean, I've been so lucky enough to, you know, always, I've, I've never felt, you know, I, I'm taking away an opportunity for someone because you don't know what's going to happen. And I just want you to know that, you know, I don't think anybody would ever think you're taking up their time, you know, to have that kind of hanging over you that what's the point, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I think any of us could, could feel that way. Cause you know, we all, we all don't know what tomorrow or later today or next week could hold, but I can't imagine that experience of like, why, why make strides for my future when we don't know what they, what that future is. And, but you've eventually overcome that you've been able to say, regardless of what tomorrow holds, I want to do something for tomorrow because, you know, without, without looking forward for tomorrow, you know, that just puts you where you are today. And for you, you were able to kind of say, okay, you know what, I'm done waiting to see if I have a future and I'm going to just create one. I'm going, regardless of what happens, I'm going to do the things that I would do if I were to have a lot, you know, if I didn't have this diagnosis and this prognosis, if I just were living like everyone else and you, you know, you've decided to eventually go to college, to university and, and pursue your dreams. Tell me a little bit about finally deciding to do that. Uh, it's just been, it's been amazing. Like, I don't know. It's just like, it's something that's kind of been in my back in the background of my mind for such a long time. And I just never thought that it was something I would be able to do. I'd have the opportunity to do. Um, and yeah, it's just gratitude. Like, I just feel so grateful that I've been given that opportunity. And I think there was a big fear around that as well. You know, like even when I started on the course and it's quite an intense experience and you have to kind of bring a lot of yourself to it. And there's a lot of kind of searching of your own stuff before you can learn to help other people with their stuff. And um, even when I was starting out, I kind of had that voice in my head saying, don't talk about your cancer. Like don't tell them about your cancer because then they're not going to let you go forward with this course, you know? because they won't think that you're a good bet. And luckily kind of as that's gone gone on, I've been able to sort of let go of it and yeah, just kind of embrace it. And like, I can't not tell them about that because it is who I am and it is kind of, it's not who I am, but it's the experience that I've had and it's been a part of my life for such a long time that it's not possible to separate that out. Like it has to, if you're bringing yourself into the room, you have to bring all of that too. But yeah, like I'm just, like I say, just absolutely grateful and I have to pinch myself that I'm kind of getting to do this thing that I love. And like I, you know, school wasn't my thing. I was not into school. But now like I'm going back to college next week and I'm like, I can't wait. Like I'm really looking forward to being able to get back into it and um, learn more and experience more. So, yeah. I'm so proud of you for being able to, you know, instead of, hold that fear of, I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. So I'm just going to wait and just say, you know what, I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. So I'm not going to wait. And I, I think that's really important takeaway for everybody because we're always waiting for a sign. We're waiting for the right time. We're waiting for the universe to open up and make things easy, but life will never do that. You're never going to get a yellow brick road taking you to Oz. You're never going to get the sign from above saying, do it now. And, you know, to have all of these things kind of trying to remind you to like, stay put, don't plan, don't move. And you just got to say, I'm going to do it. 
because just like the rest of us, we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. And if I keep waiting, then, you know, it might never come. And I'm just really proud of you for that. And so, yeah, I think, you know, it's been 14 years since your diagnosis, give or take, and you were given a two-year prognosis. And so you've had, you know, 14 years of life, 14 years of challenge. And, you know, I just, I can't imagine everything that you've gone through hasn't affected the way that you think about life and death. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, Lucy before all of this, what, what she believed and now what Lucy today believes about life and death, if if there's a change or if it's kind of reinforced or strengthened those beliefs or you kind of just threw them out the window. <laughs> I think um, prior to all of this, I actually didn't really have any any beliefs. Um, I did. I wasn't religious. I didn't. I wasn't brought up in a religious household. I didn't um, worship any god. I I was quite anti kind of organized religion. I suppose. Um, you know, I just kind of thought it was pointless and you know I just didn't have any beliefs about any of that I thought you died and that was it you dead and um now I definitely haven't kind of gone through a big epiphany and found God or become religious or anything like that but I'm definitely a lot more open to, to spirituality of some kind like I you know I feel like um there's there's more there's got to be more like I feel like there's got to be kind of there's energies and power and um like I say I'm not really into organized religion but I kind of look at people now who have that and I think like good for them like you know they've got I feel like it gives them that community that we're all kind of searching for isn't it we're all searching for a community something that can hold us and make us feel safe and give us strength and if it's if it's a religion or a church that does that for you then amazing um for me that's not it but I definitely have kind of connected more with my spirituality like I um took you know I do yoga now which I would never I would just (laughs) wouldn't have entered my head to do yoga I thought it was hilarious um meditation um I find really helpful and I don't mean necessarily sitting down and like really kind of um, doing a proper structured meditation, but like I love to just get out and be quiet and walk and, you know, connect with the kind of environment around me. It's made me much more appreciative of being able to do that, you know, just go to a tree or sit in the grass or um, climb a mountain if you're feeling able, like that. that's my kind of meditation, I suppose, like that kind of mindful connection um I like being part of community that um so where I live there's there's a really strong community and they kind of there's things like Kirtan where you go and you can you're chanting and you know by doing that you're feeling a connection to the people around you and you feel that support um so yeah, not not discover religion. Not I have no idea what happens when you die, but I'm much more open to the idea that like that's not it. Like I feel like there's energy, and the energy will be transferred somewhere somehow. Like maybe connected back into the earth. Um, 
and that's something that I still kind of, I suppose, I'm exploring and learning about and understanding what I feel rather than being completely just, oh, no, like, don't believe that, end of. So that's, yeah, that's the way it's changed, I suppose, that I'm just much more open. I used to look at people who were very religious and think, how silly, they're just, they're just holding on to, they're just grasping at straws. And then as I'm progressing through this process of talking with people, I'm learning that regardless of what your beliefs are, having something to believe in is really, is really all that matters. If you believe in nothing, then nothing matters. And that's where I, I kind of came from a point in 2019 where I developed this really existential nihilism where like literally nothing mattered. And so at that point, nothing mattered. I was so empty. And now I'm starting to find that even if I don't believe in the Bible or the Quran, or I don't have these specific religious beliefs, I, there's still something to believe in. And, And I'm kind of where you are, where there's energy, there's something there's something that we're not connected. We haven't quite connected it yet. And regardless of if it's a God or just this like universal energy, there is something there and kind of clinging to that has been really helpful to me. And just, you know, realizing that it's all kind of the same thing. So whether you call it God or life force or energy, it's all something because the universe didn't just I'm also getting into a lot of like theoretical physics and like astrophysics and uh, like the universe didn't just start from nowhere. Right. I don't know. Time isn't linear in the essence of space. So we can't really say the beginning or ending of time. So if we, as humans, we've created this technological thing where we've kind of like disconnected from nature and we are Yeah. So we are like, we think we're this like robotic being that's like above the earth when in reality, like we are organic matter. We are the same carbon that every, that everything else is. And to find like a connection where like, it's all really one thing. And I think that that is really powerful too, because regardless of what our consciousness does when we die, like we're still a part of this huge system. And, you know, that has to give you comfort as well, which it does for me. Sorry about the tangent. I've been listening to these like base theorists and like all of the stuff, just trying to like understand all of this big, big stuff, bigger than us. But no, I think you're you're spot on. Yeah. Yeah. And it used to make me scared that like, well, I'm going to die and my consciousness is going to be over and that's it. But like, is it? because I'm going to need something. (laughs) Yeah. Like I used to have this all knowing understanding that like life ended and that was it, but like, who, who, where did I get this research from? It was just anxious thoughts. And so learning to not feed them and feed the like wander, feed the, the under, you know, feed that thing of like, there's something else going on. And that's kind of what this, this whole show has done is just like given me that ability to like come outside of those thoughts of those, that fear and start realizing that we're all like connected, you know, emotionally, spiritually, physically together. And, um, you know, sharing our stories just gives other people a chance to connect as well. And I do want to kind of talk about how, you know, these, these experiences have kind of changed your beliefs. And I think we're very similar with this like energy kind of aspect. And we've kind of talked a little bit about, you know, how you've lived, but if you could just kind of like redefine everything that you've gone through, you know, you live, you're now living for tomorrow, but how, what does your day-to-day life look like? Are you still, how often do you go to the doctor? How often are you reminded of, of these challenges? Like, um, so how often I go to the doctor really depends on what's happening. I've just kind of come through 16 months of not being in any treatment and therefore 
my trips to the doctor were very minimal. Um, I was on uh, three monthly checkups, so I was having three monthly scans. Um, I would have regular bloods um, and I'd be in for transfusion and things like that. But it was, you know, I wasn't in that often. Whereas fast forward to now, I am back in chemo, so things are much more regular. Um, chemo is once every three weeks. And then, of course, when you're on chemo, things happen. <laughs> uh, so I just recently had a, a blood clot. Um, which occurs because I had an infection and you know my immune system is very low at the moment and so these things happen so I've been going through a period the last couple of weeks where I've been very regularly at the hospital um you know I, I was up there I think five days in a row last week and so like in those periods where I'm there all the time it's definitely kind of very much at the forefront of my mind I'm reminded constantly but I think I've become quite adept at sort of putting that to one side and maybe not when I'm like in the depths of something like I have been the last couple of weeks but most of the time I can kind of put it to one side and and just kind of do the things that I need to do but focus more more on the other parts of life the parts that are a bit more interesting and fun yeah because at the end of the day hospital is not that interesting (laughs) you know it's um it's not the most interesting part of my life so I try and focus on the things that are. What kind of things can you, so if anyone is kind of newly diagnosed or kind of going into this, this scenario where they're going to be in the hospital quite frequently, and you've said that you, you're able to kind of push that off to the side, is there something that you can offer for people like while they're, you know, chemo can take hours, right? You're in the hospital for a long time. Is there something that you can recommend for people that are maybe kind of getting ready to face this? What kind of things have helped you like in the moment? Do you read books? Do you watch movies? Do you take, I think a lot of people sometimes chew on like hard candy sometimes. Like what can you recommend for someone like going into this? Just, yeah, be be, be prepared. Be prepared for waiting. There's a lot of waiting. Um be prepared to bring your own comfort because sometimes that is not a priority <laughs> in the hospital. I don't know what it's like in America, probably a bit nicer. Comfort isn't, unfortunately, people think hospitals are supposed to be like warm and cozy. And, you know, it's the whole point of the hospital is to fix the problem. And, and sometimes we forget about comfort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, like I, I suppose I have kind of like a, you know like a like a chemo bag I suppose you know where I would have I like to take my own blanket quite often I'll take my own pillow I take things to do but things that don't require an awful lot of concentration or energy because to be honest you're going to be tired like hospital even just looking at a hospital makes me tired I'm very lucky I'm someone who can sleep anywhere anytime through anything so chemo days I tend to sleep through it <laughs> But I do, I take my laptop, I'll have programs downloaded, I take audio books, like I find reading a little bit too taxing, I suppose. You know, I'll just, if I try and read, I'll fall asleep. So I'll take an audio book. I know lots of people take things like puzzles and crosswords and all this kind of thing. I, I don't because I know I won't do them. There have been times where I've taken uni work, but minimal, minimal things get done. Snacks, take snacks, take things that are going to help you uh, like rehydrate take things like moisturizer I always have to take like tons and tons of moisturizer because the air is drying um lip balm you're gonna get dry lips yeah the hospital is like known for having they just blow because they they filter their air so heavily like on on a third day of my third shift my nose 
starts bleeding and because it's just so dry from the air but yeah definitely take some skincare with you Skin care definitely facial mist you know anything like that's going to make you comfortable and I also like to take um so like you know sometimes I might go through times of anxiety so I've kind of over the years experimented and found the things that will help me to ground and help me to feel better so like something really simple is that I take um I have like a, a clay necklace that a friend gave me and I put essential oil onto it. So I find a scent that is good for me, one that helps me kind of ground and feel present and feel better. Um, and I put that onto my clay necklace and I just have it with me all the time. So if I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed or a bit anxious, I will just take a little sniff and it will remind me, you know, you're okay, you got this, you can, you know, you can do this. What's your go-to scent right now? What do you have on there? I'm actually looking now what I've got here. Oh yeah, so the one I've got right now is just frankincense. Um, oh, I love frankincense. It's like one of the most gentle, calming scents. Yeah, so I love that one. But sometimes I'll go for something a bit more citrusy. Depends on my mood. But you'll kind of experiment and find what works for you. And that's just a really quick way to kind of just remind yourself that you're you're here and you're present and you're okay. Um uh, so yeah, there, there are a few tips I would say, and also just knowledge. Some people I find don't like to have knowledge around their illness, and I, I can't, I can't get my head around like that. I need to know everything, and I need to feel like I've had input, and that gives me a feeling that I have some kind of control or power around what's happening because control is something you don't have a lot of you know doctors are making decisions and you know you've got to have this drug and you've got to have that treatment and you've got to do this and you've got to do that um and so just making sure that you're informed and that you're asking questions and you're writing things down and if you think that you can't focus and take in the information then bring somebody with you or ask if you can record it um because you will forget stuff you will miss, miss stuff if you're emotional or if you're ill or you know it, it's hard to take in all the all the information not to mention we're groggy a lot of times in the hospital, like where we, we have medication, even just IV fluids make me feel groggy. So like just asking for like the ability to write notes or just the ability to jot down information to Google later. And, you know, I think that's really helpful. A lot of people, when I see them, they leave the hospital and then everything we've talked about brain dumped just out of their minds. And then they're calling us a week later, like, what did you guys say about how to change this dressing? It's like, oh yeah, you, you had the brain dump thing. So yeah, definitely finding a way to keep that information organized yeah and don't be afraid to question as well don't be afraid that you know doctors will tell you we've got to do a b and c and you can be like well what about this d over here that i read and you know they might say do you know what that's completely out of the question for you but they also might say wow yeah we didn't really think of it that way so it's always worth bringing your own thoughts and feelings and and not to be pressured into doing something that you don't feel comfortable doing that you don't think is right for you because they don't always know best like a lot of the time they know best but they do not always know best yeah they know standard procedures but they don't know personal personal things I love when people ask questions because it gives me the ability to like learn more about what I know and also how I can help someone else in the future and the doctors are busy like nurses are busy doctors are busy consultants they've got a lot of patients and as much as they want to give you their 100 percent they can't so it might be that you have a little bit of time and ability to find out something and then you can bring it up and then they can find out more about it. But um, they're looking after a lot of people. So you need to be your own advocate. And that's really, 
important. And if you can't be, find somebody who can. I also like to talk to my patients too and say, how can I, like, before I have to go to the doctor, I, I say like, what is it that you want me to get for you? What, how can I advocate for you? And they'll say like, I'm just really in pain. And so my advocacy, like what I know to focus on is pain management, or I'm really scared, or I don't know what's, I don't know what this means. And so I can advocate, you know, a lot of times it just takes two seconds. And a lot of times nurses barely have that. But like you're saying is advocate for yourself, because a lot of times, like, you know, I try to advocate for my patients, but sometimes we we honestly truly do not have the time. And so no, having the ability to say, Hey, um, I'm sorry, I'm a pain in the butt, but I'm, I need help. I need a question answered. Like this is important to me because to us, you know, we have five other patients, but to you, you're, you're the priority. And, and a lot of times nurses can get thrown in the mix and but yeah I want you to you know advocate for yourself and if you don't know how to advocate tell the nurse hey can you help me because I'm I don't know how to like speak up for myself I don't know how to get what I think I need that's my other tip that I always give like because I speak to a lot of newly diagnosed people and my biggest tip actually is your specialist nurse your allocation nurse she is your best weapon (laughs) like she is your way to the doctor you know you're not going to get anywhere trying to phone up your consultant like you need to be speaking to your nurse she knows everything she knows way more than he does about how things work and how to get things done or he sorry <laughs> um and so yeah that like make friends with that nurse <laughs> yeah and they know and they know how to get to the doctor so you might be waiting because the doctor will round once a day right so you're waiting all day to talk to for five minutes but the nurse is there all day and the nurse can call the doctor so you know or they can get the answers before the doctor shows up so you have a better background so yeah I always say like a lot of people that say like I'm just gonna wait for the doctor I'm like you're missing a huge opportunity because this nurse this nurse can look up journals they can talk to other physicians they can talk to other nurses and if you wait for this doctor you're going to miss 90 percent of the information you probably want to know so yeah i think that's a wonderful tip is find that nurse and she's your ally she's your best friend she's going to be able to help you get what you need i suppose i just wanted to say as well about um you know knowing knowing that you have who whatever it might be that you get anyway you know that you're kind of dying or possibly going to die at some time sooner than you might have imagined and I I really feel like openness and knowledge is the key to growing comfortable with that Um, so having open conversations having a dialogue with those who you love letting people know what it is that you want um, you know how do you want your funeral to look what do you want to happen to you after you've died gaining an understanding of the process of death that's been really important to me like knowing what will happen like what are the stages what will my what will happen to my body what will I go through what's the biology of it why does this happen how does that feel like is this part of it painful um and I suppose so my stepdad had a brain tumor and I was kind of witness to his decline and his death um and being aware of those stages and knowing what was happening and why it was happening made it so much less scary. So for everyone, you know, the person who's dying or for the person who's witnessing the dying, that I, I can't kind of um, highlight enough how important that is, like to be open and to have that information because death is scary. If you don't understand what's happening to a body, it's scary. Whereas actually 
when you know, like you know that the body knows how to protect itself. So these things that look like suffering, nine times out of ten, that's not that's not the case. Um, and nature has a way of making it okay. And of course, and of course, the help of healthcare and you know, there's there's ways and means of making things more comfortable. But just just knowing that you've got your ducks in a row or however you want to put it, you know, like you've told people what it is you want. They know what kind of interventions you might like. They know what you want to happen after your death. You can relax. You can know that you've kind of covered all your bases so you can just get on with being alive now. Um, I think that's really important. Yeah, I definitely think um, with some of my other guests, I've had a mortician on and we talked about like just discussing, you know, post-mortem care with your family. So that way they don't have to stress about what you would want because you've already talked to them. So then their only goal is to just grieve and like actually experience the grief instead of like, what would mom have wanted? What would dad have wanted? What do you want to cremated? Does he want to be on, you know, does he want certain medical care or do we just let him pass and having that conversation? So every like six months I talk with my family at like Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever holiday. And I'm like, Hey guys, what are we doing when we, if we get in an accident, are we pulling the plug? Are we getting cremated? And we all agree, like no long-term like ventilation assistance, um, you know, cremated, have a fun party. And we're all like, we all know. So I think it just, and also understanding. And it's that, yeah, it sounds the scary thing to do, but the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And it just becomes a conversation like any other conversation. Um, and it's such a kindness to these people that are left behind because there's nothing worse than having to make these big decisions, but not knowing if you're doing it right. Like, are you honoring what they would have wanted? If you know for sure what they wanted, then like that's half the stress gone. And you, like you say, you can get on with grieving. Yeah. And also, like you said, understanding the process of the biology of death. Um, a lot of people think death is painful. And from all of the research that, you know, I've listened to and conducted and read, like initially death can be uncomfortable, but after a certain point, like it's actually very soft and it's like falling asleep it's like just this gentle kind of calm like your body preserves everything it needs to until the very end so it like it releases these these systems in a way that isn't painful and you know it's actually a really beautiful a lot of people consider it a transition it's not something that happens to you it's something you experience it's a transition you go through and just like everything else you know every transition of growth birth like none of that was painful, right? It wasn't, I mean, emotionally, maybe growth was a little painful, but physically everything, you know, our body knows what to do. So it's going to do the right thing and, and leave us in the most comfort. Well, I suppose you can think of it as like, like giving birth, isn't it? You wouldn't go into giving birth without having some kind of knowledge of how that works. So why would you go towards dying without understanding what's going to happen to you? Like, I just feel that that's so important as scary as it is, it's going to help you understand. And so like a lot of times fear comes from not knowing. So if you know more, you're not as afraid. And for me, this journey is just learning more has just given me this, like this kind of kit of things of information. That's like, now I know more now I'm not so scared. And, you know, fear is the one thing that holds us back. So if we can get rid of the fear, we can move on with, with knowledge and understanding. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. <laughs> well, Lucy, we have arrived to our final question. It does not have to be about 
cancer or dying or any of that. It's just what would be your piece of advice, something to leave the listener off with, or just a little bit of, you know, your personal mantra, what would that be? I think, yeah. So I think um, just to remember that you can only really, you can only really deal with what's in front of you. Um, So like there might be, all these terrifying things that could potentially happen down the line, but you can only really deal with what's right there. Um, and I suppose I kind of compare it with like, you're a hiker. I like to hike. And when I'm hiking, especially if I'm not feeling very well, I might have times where it feels too hard. So then I'm thinking, well, that's okay. You only have to do another hundred steps and then you can stop. You can put your tent up. That's fine. You don't have to go any further. So I walk those hundred steps and I think, oh, actually, that's okay. I can do another hundred steps. So I do it in bite-sized pieces. And I suppose really in life, that's all you can do. Just do bite-sized pieces, get through what's in front of you and then reassess, kind of, you know, find your energy again and you're ready for the next little section. Focus on what's right in front of you. Yeah, just that's, that's all you can do. Yeah, we we can't always focus on the long-term stuff. Sometimes it's just chewing the bite that's in your mouth, <laughs> right? Focusing on that first. If people would like to connect with you or follow along with your journey or just reach out to you with um, you know, some advice since you've been through quite a lot and you've come out in with such a beautiful outlook, where can people connect with you? So I I'm on Instagram. So my Instagram um name would be Lucy underscore em underscore right underscore now well lucy thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me i have really enjoyed this um thank you again for sharing your story and giving people who might be just getting into this journey of being diagnosed with cancer or just some type of terminal or chronic illness a little bit of insight of to what that's like and how you can move forward and even though it might look dark at the end there is always a future. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Huge thank you to Lucy for taking the time to share her story with me on today's show. I ask that if you're enjoying the show, please leave a review or rating on your streaming platform. It really helps. If you are someone you know has a unique relationship or experience relating to death and would be interested in sharing your story, please email your stories to embracingdeathpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to Embracing Death, my little passion project. It has really changed the way that I aim to live. The more we talk about death, the more we learn. The more we learn, the less we fear. And the less we fear, the more we can embrace not only death, but the lives that we still have yet to live. And as Edvard Munch said, from my rotting body, flowers shall grow. And I am in them, and that is eternity. We will see you next week.